So today's scripture is found in Matthew chapter 6, and I will tell you right up front, because there was some confusion the last time I graced this wonderful podium, uh, is uh, that the message is coming largely from the message, and that's a Bible uh, version that we use here sometimes for amplification, and so I'm just telling you that up front, that's my disclaimer. If you have the message, you'll be right at home. If you don't, you'll be easily able to follow along whatever version you're using. But it's Matthew chapter 6. We really did a job on Matthew chapter 5 and no way exhausted it. We never plumbed the total depths of any, any scripture, but certainly uh, we learned some things that we probably hadn't seen before, and I, I think it was a blessing. Some of you would remember that we're in a series right now, probably going to wrap it up today. We'll see how it goes this morning. And it's a series entitled, ID, Please. Many and most of us have heard those words somewhere, in an airport or at a bank or or someplace where there's some sort of or form of security, and uh, you have ID, please. And so that's what we're going to continue on today. Uh, we ought to have ID and have it clearly understood as kingdom believers, believers in Christ. Can we pause for prayer? Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for all that it means in our lives. Lord, it's our guiding light, it's our direction, it's our map, it's our roadway from grace to glory, and we thank you so much for that. I ask now that you take the message and the messenger. Lord, take my nothingness and just multiply it by your almightiness. Lord, it's you that we lift up. It's you that we want to exalt in this place today. And we want to see people drawn to you, both in salvation and in commitment and, and to find their answer for whatever life's question is for them. So, Lord, have your way and lead by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... So do we know, that's the question we've been asking, do we know who we are? You know, we all have hang-ups, we all have uh, challenges, we all have gifts, we all have talents, we all have, I, I called it warts and all, and that's us, that's who we are, that's who you are, that's who I am, that's who we are. Understanding our identity, this is something I said a couple messages ago, is essential for our health, our emotional, our physical, but most importantly, our spiritual health. A declaration was made by Ralph Ellison, the author of the book Invisible Man, and he said, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. So do you know who you are? Because if you do not, then it isn't Jesus' fault. Because Jesus, as we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he climbs a mountain, he sits down, and he takes considerable time to tell us who we are supposed to be. He says, this is us. Doing a little quick review for you. Number one, he said, we're blessed. And can I hear something on that? We're blessed. Amen. Right. Secondly, he said, You're, we're square pegs and round holes. In other words, in other words we're square pegs and, and we're points of light. And I said, that was God on display through us. And then the third thing we discovered is that we are kingdom subjects. And that was an interesting subject in and of itself. Jesus tells us about us as he speaks of us. 
He continues this detailed explanation with what now seems, at a superficial reading, almost a contradiction, and I underscore almost. In Matthew 5.16, he's informing us that we're supposed to shine brightly, and he says, and it's often quoted, and you've probably memorized it, some of us, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works or good deeds and your moral excellence, and they recognize, honor, and glorify your Father who's in heaven. We remember him saying that, and we remember that that's part of what we also call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, part four. Free people. Listen to verse one as we open it again of Matthew six, uh, chapter six. He says, be very careful not to do your good deeds publicly, to be seen by men. Otherwise, you will have no reward prepared and awaiting, with you, uh, awaiting you with your Father who is in heaven. So, in one breath, he says, let men see your good works. And then, almost immediately says just the opposite. Be careful not to do your good deeds publicly. And you ask this morning, and right, you're right to ask. So what's going on here? <laughs> How do I really get this message through my head and get it clearly? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that he is plumbing the depths of the human heart. He's dealing with our motives. He's dealing with what the old cliche makes us tick. He knows our tendencies and he knows that our tendency is to be self-absorbed, self-serving, and subject to, comp- to succumb to pride. Listen now to what he says after this supposed contradiction. And this is where I'm going to begin to read from the message at verse 1, if I may, and I'll have it on the screen so we can all follow, of Matthew 6. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the good you made, you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. There's so much in this, in this transliteration, in this particular version that just speaks to us. As I said, the message from the message today. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Hmm? Playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. And when you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. This is very important to remember. And when you come before God, don't turn into that into a theatrical production either. You see, all these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin, begin to sense his grace. 
The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God, but don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply, like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves. See, in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. And if you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And when you practice some, some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Ooh. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Think for a moment, friends, about the huge movies that come out each year on the big screen. It seems like the attention is always on the star, right? The lead role. Who's playing the lead role? Who's the big name actor or actress? And it could be one of many people and people whose names are familiar to you just like you were, they were your next door neighbor, like Denzel and, and Hugh Jackman and Emma Stone and Meryl Streep and half those people, I don't even know who they are. But the focus, billboards, trailers, invitations to appear on the talk shows are reserved for those people. They're reserved for the stars, the big names, the key roles, the recognizable. But every, very seldom does anyone pay attention, hear me carefully, to the extras. They're the ones in the crowd scene with no names. Overlooked, unknown, but absolutely essential to the success of the movie and the story being told. Without these people in the crowd scene, the star cannot command the screen. The plot is meaningless. The story's told, but it isn't as full or engaging. So Jesus is talking about us, and he says this. This is us. He said, this is who we are. Extras. We're not the star. Hello. We are not the key player. We are not center of attention or the attraction on the billboard. We have light, but we are not the light. Our good deeds are not to be done to make a name for us, but rather for him. Our good deeds are to be done not for us, but rather for him. And assuredly, Jesus knows this about us as well. If you and I are not careful... We will become applause and attaboy hungry. 
We have a tendency to push our way into the limelight. And if you know the story of Absalom, and I won't repeat it this morning, but it'd be a nice, uh, a nice little study for you. Like Absalom, we will resent being off stage, and then to our own demise, sit in judgment over those who are over us and above us, and pull them and ourselves to destruction. So Jesus spends time talking to us about our role as, let's get that word down, extras. Let's say that together. Extras. Are we the star of the show? No. Who is? He is. So we are the extras. Excellent. This is a complete, total, opposite approach of what we're taught by life, what we're taught by our world system, what we're taught in our education, whatever it is, however you've come along in life, whatever we've been subject to, these are the things that we're taught. Driven. Make room for yourself. Insert. Force. Pull strings. Self-promote. Instead... He encourages us to fly under the radar and to do the good we do, I hope you're listening, for the good of the person we're doing it for rather than for our own promotion. I don't think we understand as many times as we've been over and over and over Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and so on. I don't think we understand fully what a huge, huge favor Jesus does for us and the incredible gift that he's giving us right here. He attacks and totally dismantles the performance mentality that has trapped so many of us for so long. Too many of us treat people kindly, We pray the way we pray. We approach God the way we approach God based on a performance mentality. You get in a small circle, even in a church like this, and ask someone to lead in prayer, and there's dead silence. Because maybe everyone but one or two people think, well, I can't do it. I can't, I don't, I have, I'm not a star performer. I'm just, I don't know how to do it. Or you could be sitting here saying, you know, I've been trying for many years of my life to gain approval and acceptance from man and from God, and I can't ever get the two justified. I just can't ever get them together. So Jesus in this section pulls the stage out from under our feet and says that living life like that gets us nothing but short-term applause from man and consequently will be overlooked by God. So we lose both ways. We're not called to perform for approval. And here's why. Christian, grab this. We all need to. We're not called to perform for approval because we've already received approval. He's approved you just as you are. You don't need to swim in the performance mentality any longer and hope you come up a different person. We're called to simply live for him. And that is freedom for anyone who's been killing themselves to be accepted. This is it. This is it. Say, I've been working all my life just to be accepted. This is it. You are accepted. Put it on. 
Wear it. It looks good on you. And it's all you need. Now, with this in mind, then we have, on the one hand, the performance mentality. But on the other hand, we have what I call the extra mentality. And that's the mentality that should invade our work. And I'm going to go a step further. And our worship. Our work points to him. Our worship should be about the object of our worship rather than about the one worshiping. Can I say that again? Somewhere along the way, a lot of folks, a lot of us, I'm included here, have had some wrong teaching or lack of good teaching. I don't know what it was. Our worship should be about the object of our worship rather than about the one worshiping. My worship of God is not about me, it's about Him. Our prayers should be simple. Just like our conversations one to the other. And we talk to friends every day and we have no trouble doing it. The only time we struggle is when we talk to our best friend eternally. And we're tongue-tied. Our prayers should stay simple. Our fasting should be shrouded and our giving should be discreet. Anything done with a billboard and a PA system attached to it is not to the glory of God. You can be sure of that. So in very real terms, Jesus is pointing to what John the Baptist had learned. And John the Baptist knew what was happening, what it was going to happen, and pretty much when. But in John chapter 3, verse 30, the attention has been shifted to John and now it's shifting away from John, and the crowds and the applause has, had been centered on him. And, and so understanding who he was and exactly his role, if anybody ever understood the role, it was John the Baptist, he said, well, this is the assignment change moment of the time. This is for him, meaning Jesus. It's time for him to move into the center stage while I slip off to the sidelines. Or as you probably memorized it years ago, he must increase, but I must decrease. decrease. Mm. See this extra mentality? It's why the two disciples heading up into the temple could say, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give to you. (laughs) They knew who was doing the work. They knew who was responsible. They knew who deserved the glory. They had come to grips with the fact that we're not called to be manufacturers. We're called to be distributors. And if we have nothing to distribute, then it's a pretty good indication of who's in charge of the manufacturing in our life. If what we're distributing produces followers of us rather than followers of Christ, then we're the manufacturer and we are in the lead. Hold that thought. And believe me, this begs the question. To make it personal, I will ask it. Is he increasing in your life? You do understand that in order for him to increase, that also means that you must decrease. More of him is less of me. Hmm? And more of me is less of him. 
You cannot ascend without him descending and vice versa. So are you decreasing at all? Just think about your life right now. Everybody's got a chart of accounts in their head of what they have, what they don't have, where they've been, where they're going, how they're going to get there, who they are, who they aren't. Who is in the lead role? Are you leading your own life and every once in a while just checking in with God? Letting him know he's a good scout and you're glad to be part of the troop? I mean, who is in the spotlight of your life? Is Jesus center stage? Or are you? You see, this is us. We're extras. Do you need to get off the stage? Do you need to reposition like John the Baptist? Do you need to let Jesus take the lead and just let him take the lead? And you walk by faith knowing that he can do it a whole lot better? Because he can, right? He can, right? Does anybody doubt that? Jesus can lead your life better than you can, right? Oh, good. I love you so much. You just play with me. Let me ask, my friend. This is the heart of it right here. This is the guts of what I want to say today. Have you personally experienced the radical, life-changing grace of God? If not, boy, this would be a great day for you to come into that kingdom and come to know our Savior, the Lord Jesus. I've been thinking a lot lately. I know it's dangerous, but I've been thinking a lot lately about some things, and I've been going over different things in my mind and things I wanted to share with you. And this is one thing that I, I want us to learn today. It's what I call a, le- a lesson in sequencing. And I want to use four radical words and use them together, and I want to use them in order. And when they come down on the screen, I'd like for us to say them together in this order. All right? Everybody with me? Going to read with me, nice and loud, one voice, all together. Number wor- word number one, grace. grace. Word number two, forgiveness. forgiveness. Great. Word number three, gratitude. Word number four, grace. You're wonderful. Now, if we can keep those on the screen for a while. See, it's impossible for you to forgive someone if you haven't already experienced forgiveness through the grace of God. Grace is first. Until you've met and embraced the grace of God, you're still searching for meaning in your life. You can do everything else right. You can go to every church service. You can say all the right things at the right time in the right order. But until the grace of God has captured your heart, your mind, your soul, you're not going to move anywhere on this spiritual journey. Because once grace hits you, you realize what forgiveness really is. You say, I could never forgive him. I want to ask you something. Aren't you glad God never said that about you? 
Are you glad on the cross? He said, he didn't say, it's almost finished except for, and then started listing names including yours. Huh? And here's what I want to say very bluntly. That's a bunch of hogwash. I know you don't understand theological terms, so I just, (laughs) I'll try to stay away from them. But don't ever, ever, ever tell yourself or anybody else that you can't forgive someone if you've already been forgiven by God. Because he gives you the ability and the power, listen, and the grace to forgive once you realize that you're forgiven. What happens when you get grace and forgiveness working together and mixed into the cake? I'll tell you what you get is gratitude. And you can't, you just can't stop being grateful for the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. You say, yeah, but I still have, listen, the grace of God covers it all. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ saves us from all sin. It's covered all of that. Read Hebrews 9, 10, 11. Get some perspective of the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it really meant and what it really means to you and to me. And then the word gratitude, I say, leads to praise. I'm not saying praise is a prerequisite to worship, But I'm saying praise is a prerequisite to worship. (laughs) Now, because I've I've floundered on that over the years, saying, well, I don't know that I'm going to say that. But you know what? Until you have a heart full of grace that's forgiven and forgiving, forgiven and forgiving, and you're full of gratitude for what's been done for you and for where you're headed... Until that happens, I don't believe you can truly praise God. And when you can, you're going to break into all kinds of worship. And it won't be about you because it'll all be about him. So let's go back to Matthew 6 and keep going here. And I'm going to pick up, uh, you probably guessed already, at verse 19. And here are the words of Jesus. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust. Or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live, I love this, squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, Your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows. You don't fuss uh, about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than, than the food you put in your stomach and more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds. Free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. Hallelujah. 
careless in the care of God and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp. This is interesting, isn't it? They don't shop. They don't look at the most recent fashions. But I want to ask you, have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Wow, that's a good one. Don't be so preoccupied by getting that you miss out on God's giving. Don't know how to respond to it. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. You know that. Steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. That's the key sentence in the whole uh, section here. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Wow. Jesus always knows what we will face. And he knows those daily concerns of health care and grocery bills and house payments and car repairs and college tuition and stock markets and retirement and the incessant cry from society to compete with your neighbors that you don't even know their name. And he tries to make it very clear we don't have to become consumed or trapped by the rat, wait, rat race. We're in fact supposed to be carefree. In fact, we're supposed to be chilling. So take a minute and chill. He tells us to be carefree when it comes to fashion, to food, to finances. How can he possibly tell us to live like that? How can he tell me not to worry? How can he tell me not to fret? How can he tell me not to lay in bed at night worried about making ends meet? How can dare he tell me to relax? Doesn't he know the pressure I'm under? And now he has the audacity to tell me I'm supposed to live carefree and worry-free? How is that even possible? Well, thankfully, he gives us the answer towards the end here, and he gives it in two parts. If you miss this, boy, you missed something. First, he says, we can be carefree because we are cared for. You don't like that nearly as much as I did. Woo, I saw that and said, that, that'll preach. <laughs> he says we can be carefree because we're cared for. Wow. 
If we were fatherless, then we could not be fearless. But because we have a father watching over us at all times, we can rest in his care. Isn't that great? Yeah. We know he cares for birds. I'm glad he does. How many of you know that he cares for birds? He even sees the little sparrow when it falls. Yeah. How is it then if that many people know it, that that many people forget that he cares for us? Too many of us know he cares, he really does too, for the person two rows back or three rows up from you, and yet you fail to realize or live like he cares about you. Some of us just need to stop for a moment and come to grips with the implications of the insight Jesus gives us here in this passage. God cares about us. Let that sink in. Let it sink in. Listen, the king of the universe knows us and cares. He's moved by our pain. He's motivated by our lack. He is for us. He's compassionate toward us. Talk about a perspective and outlook changer. Mm. Jesus even tells us that God will do his best by us. You know, knowing that I'm cared for allows me to chill. I don't have to do this as if I'm alone. I have an involved, compassionate, good, good father. It's one thing to come into a church service and sing that, oh, you're a good, good father, but never really apply it to your life in a practical way. Look, I have a partner investing in me. I have backup. I have a wingman. Too many of us know this as head knowledge, but then we still go on and we live, we worry, we fret, we fear as if we're in this all by ourselves. We can handle it. I don't want to bother God. He's so busy. He's got a big agenda. Our stress level may be an accurate indication of our solo level. What I mean by that is if we knew we weren't alone in this fight, then would we be as overwhelmed and anxious? I dare say no, we wouldn't. And I'm not even going to speak for you, but boy, do I need this. And so the second thing, he says, be worry-free, be carefree and worry-free. And I say, how is that possible? First, when you remember that, he, that you, are, you can be carefree because you're cared for, secondly, he says, well, we can chill because he's capable. Do you ever run into one of those people that hear about your need and they say something like, well, I, I wish I could help you. If I could help, I, you know, if I was rich, I'd lend a hand. But I, I, could, I just can't do anything right now. There's nothing I can do. You see, they do care. They do care. They're not just putting you off. But they're, they're not capable. I mean, they have good intentions, but they can't intervene because they don't have the ability. Understandable. Jesus says we will never get that type of response from our Heavenly Father. The reason we can chill is because our Father isn't one of those people who care but have no resources to do anything. He has all of the resources in all of the universe. And He cares about what we care about. No, Jesus says relax. God not only cares, but He's capable. He has all of the resources. He isn't like the guy that knows you're having transportation issues and he shakes your hand and he shows concern and you think he's sincere, but he refuses to lend you one of the nine cars he has at home. You have reason to doubt his sincerity. 
No, 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 no. God sees our need, and like a good, good father, he responds accordingly. So we can chill. We can take comfort in the fact that he cares and also in the fact that he's capable of meeting our every need. Now, there's a caveat here, and I don't want you to miss this because I'd be doing this uh, text at the service if we did. Jesus adds an important thing here that we tend to overlook. He says, you'll find all your everyday, I, I circle that in red, human concerns will be met. Notice he didn't say that our Father would give us our every women wish. He doesn't tell us that uh, he will give us the latest iPhone when, because uh, our, our, the one we have now works perfectly fine, but they just came out with a new one, so I've got to have it. That's not God, that's some other force. He doesn't say God is obligated to move you and your spouse out of a 2,000 square foot house and into an 8,000 square foot house. He doesn't say God will replace the hamburger on your plate with a T-bone steak. He said God will meet our everyday concerns. What's that mean? Write it down if you're a note taker. The essentials. We want to write checks that God isn't obligated to cash. And then we tend to overextend ourselves and then run to God to bail us out. I'm saying that not thinking of anybody in particular, just pointing at myself, knowing that this is a common thing. A lot of us face it and a lot of us do this. I think one of the, you're doing parenting uh, teaching, and I think that's wonderful. I think, and I hope, one of the responsibilities that you're being taught, every parent ought to do this, is teach his or her children how to handle provisions and how to live within their means. I know that's at least two, maybe three generations past, so I didn't get much response there. But I can recall hearing that as a child growing up. Our, and that wasn't yesterday, our Heavenly Father can do no less than be a good, good father. (laughs) He isn't a good, good father when you get what you want and a bad father some other time or an absent father the rest of the time. He can do no less than be a good, good father. He's capable of Capable, but listen to this. He's also committed to the development of our godly character. Mm. So he's not going to allow his capacity to provide comfort to override the development of our character in him. That is so important. I think I'll repeat it. God will not allow his capacity to provide comfort to override the development of our character. Jesus comes face to face with a man over in Luke 5. This guy's in need. And in the exchange between them, Jesus combats our lack of understanding of these two chill-producing facts. In Luke 5, we read about the sick man who at least has some understanding or maybe comprehension of the resources of the one that he has encountered. He, however, does not know the intentions of the one he has encountered. And so the dying man approaches Jesus, verse 12 I'm reading, 
And he says to him, if you are willing, you could heal me. Another version says, if you were willing, you could cleanse me. Original word, same meaning. Look, this is something that even if you're a seasoned Christian, way beyond the rest of us, and we respect you for that, and we're glad you are, because we can learn a lot from you. But I want to teach you something right now that you maybe have never heard. And I say maybe because I don't want to insult your intelligence. We can only approach Jesus one of two ways. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. I have actually heard really good Christian people pray, Oh God, if you can do this, and I want to stop and say, What do you mean if you can do it? But that's one way you can approach God, and a lot of people do. And the other approach is this, I know you want to, but I don't know if you can. That's putting a lid on faith, isn't it? See, the if is on us. It's not on Jesus. When you say, well, I I know you could do this, God, if. No, 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 no. The if is not on him. The if is on us. And let me give you the three key words to that. Belief equals trust equals faith. How many believe in faith? How many practice faith, as far as they know? I need a volunteer, Maggie Taylor. <laughs> oh, thank you, dear. I need a volunteer. Yeah. You're going to have help. You're going to have help. I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Right. You can trust me, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, you. We got one. No, <laughs> no you're going to have help. Uh, Chris Staples is going to help you. So if you could stand like right here facing that way. That way there. There there you go. Perfect. She's a great already, huh? She's going to catch me? I'm ready. (laughs) Now look, I'm talking about faith. I'm not. (laughs) Miracles is another uh, message for another day. Okay. So have here. So you have faith. You understand faith. Yes. Well, faith is a wonderful thing. So what, like faith, is there any limit to faith? No. No. So faith is a real deal, huh? Yeah. Um, Chris is going to come and stand behind you. Do you still have faith in him? Yes. You can't see him. No. And you're not allowed to turn around or look up. Okay? Okay. You've got to keep your head pretty much still and so on. Um, I'm going to let you help me. Well, I'll let Chris do this. Chris, this is a bag. E, a bag E. I don't know what they call them. It's a bag that locks. I want you to hold that real tight for me. And this right here is, this is water, Chris. Don't let it fall down. Don't let it fall. Uh-huh. Oh, do you still have faith? Yes. Hold it tight. How's your faith doing now? Now, tight, if you can, lock that real tight. 
then hold it tight. Oh, by the way, Maggie, I'm going to have you hold that because you might need it. Oh, oh, they're laughing. I noticed they didn't volunteer. <laughs> How about it? Isn't she a great volunteer? <laughs> now stand perfectly still. Now Chris is going to hold this over your head. Okay. Oh, I hate to mess up that. Hold it like sort of that way. Yeah, tight, tight. So what, what can happen, in one word, what can happen to destroy faith? Or what is an antithesis to faith? What is it that... Huh? Doubt. 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 Oh, boy. I was hoping somebody would say that. I didn't think somebody would right off. This is a pencil. Is it sharp? Yes. It's sharp. Okay. That's doubt. Faith holding? Is faith holding? You feel wet? You were already baptized, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't believe in sprinkling here. So um, what else? What else can... Fear. Fear. Boy, you guys are right on. Got it, Chris? Yep. How you feel? Fine. You? <laughs> Dry. <laughs> so far. Wait now, wait. No, can't say so far, because that'd be limiting your faith. You still have faith in Chris. Yes. You still have faith in that baggie. Yes. I know you have faith in me. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> That's where the whole thing went down, the tubes. <laughs> what else can destroy faith? Doubt and fear. Circumstance. Circumstance, did someone say? Fear. All right, I don't know about that one, but we'll try it. Huh? Faith is holding. A couple more things. Rejection. Rejection. Was that the word? Yep. I guess it could. Let's have another one. Something that destroys your faith. I didn't hear it. A leaky bag. I could preach that. I could preach to that. But we don't have time. That because that wouldn't destroy your faith. Hate. Huh? Hate. Fate? Hate. 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 Yeah. Now, are you still dry? Yes. Have you had a drop of water on you? No. What's the towel for? Just in case, Just right? Because <laughs> you're a woman of faith, right? Yes. Now you can turn around and Chris can show you what we've been doing. <laughs> wow. What did you Anybody else think it was a wow? Oh. Maggie, great job. <laughs> Dry as a bone. Dry as a bone. Boy, it is easy to talk faith. It's another thing to stand under that bag of water and not have a clue what's going on. And I loved her expression. If I'd had a camera, I would have taken that picture because when she looked, it was just a disbelief. 
And that's why we are so often with God when we're saying we're living by faith and then he does something or he does exactly what we've been hoping or praying for and, and we're surprised. Oh, did that really happen? And I think that was the kind of an illustration that might stay with you for a day or two. You might think of that sometime. Or when your faith gets weakened or low, you might come back to it. I know you can, but I'm not really convinced you will. I know you've, you have the power, but I'm not sure you have compassion. I know you have healing, but I'm not sure you have heart. I know you have provision, but I'm not sure I'm a priority. I know you desire to, but I don't know if you will demonstrate the ability. I know you love me, God, but I don't know if you're really loaded with the necessary power to do what I need done. So Jesus kills both birds with one stone. Jesus' response is not only do I have the capacity, but I also have the desire, so my child, chill, I can and I care. Wow. Are you facing a shortage right now? A little shortage of faith? I wonder how many would have come up here for that demonstration if they knew exactly what was going to happen. Oh, I, that, uh, my neighbor will do it. Yeah, he, he said he'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. He has more than enough for me. Are you facing sickness? What's your response? By his stripes we are healed. Are you facing unknown? You ready to freak out? No chilling? He loves me so much he goes before me and explores the unknown so I can hold his hand and I can enter into it, whatever it is, with confidence. God's got us and whatever your this is, he's got this. Well, here it is. Our freedom is based on our ability to embrace the fact that we are cared for by the capable. How relaxed are you? How worried are you? How stressed are you? And if you want, if you want, I like this one. If you want the best medicine for stressed, just spell it backwards. How peaceful we can be when we truly understand ID. One last thing I just want to leave with you, and that is to look at identification one last time. You see, we identify with Jesus first in creation. God said, let us, us, plural, make man in our own image. In the mind of God... We were there. We were there. He knew you, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world and knew all about you. So he said, let us make man in our own image. Our second point of identification is on the cross. And the Bible explains that he took on himself the sins of the whole world. 
How many have ever seen some kind of a depiction or even in maybe your mind, you've kind of pictured Jesus suffering on that cross? How many have? How many? Okay. Let me tell you something. You were on that cross too. The sins of the whole world were being paid for. I was there. That's identification, mister. And thirdly, at the resurrection. Because Paul writes later that Christ became the first fruits of those who believe and those who would follow him, meaning he went into the tomb so he could come out of the tomb so that those who believe in him when they go into the grave have the hope of coming out of the grave and going on with him into eternal glory to spend, oh, you won't spend it, we'll never spend it, to enjoy the glory of heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. And because of all of this, we are free people. ID, please. Now, in each of the messages in this series, I've asked that we adopt a theme song, which we've done, No Longer Slaves. And we're going to have you join us here in just a moment as we continue our worship service. And we're going to go move right into that as a closing theme and as something to kind of solidify in your mind and ours this whole thought of who are we? What is our identification? I hope now you have a little clearer view or maybe a lot clearer view of who you are in God's eyes, who you are in Christ, what you have, and the fact that you're a free people, you're a free person in Jesus Christ. You are no longer a slave. ID, please. Let's stand together. God bless you.